Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. So everybody, this is Scott Cowan. I'm your host with the Exploring Washington State podcast. And today my guest is Ryan Christensen. Ryan, welcome to the show. What's up, Scott? How you doing? I'm good, thanks. And so today we're going to talk about a topic that I know nothing about, which is hiking and climbing, (laughs) which is why Ryan's here. Ryan's going to uh, share some thoughts on Washington State hikes and climbs. So Ryan, why don't we just jump in and tell me what are your three favorite hikes around Washington? Alrighty. So uh, thanks for having me on, Scott. I super appreciate it. Um, Let's say, I'd say Heliotrope uh, Trail. That's on Mount Baker up north. Panorama Point on Mount Rainier stunning stunning uh like views out to the south of washington all the way up to the peak on a clear day uh right next to the squally glacier you can hear like the ice chunking off and cleaving and falling down into the valley super cool obviously a little scary you're it's a def- definitely a, a safe day hike and then uh one of my favorites it's really hard to get into but the enchantments just out of leavenworth in the alpine lakes wilderness area uh, stunning that's known for their their goats the alpine lakes there's i don't know 20 lakes up there uh some of the most beautiful vistas and it's really protected by a, a lottery so it's hard to get in there although you can do a day hike all the way through um but luckily last year i spent seven days up there with my friends and it was stunning yeah tell us about that because I, I do i did see on on you know on facebook so it must be true I did see that your your friends got the lottery and you you went yeah, along with them. How does that lo- how does that lottery work? I mean, what's what what is in what's in what yeah, is so, entailed? You know, at a certain time of year, which forgive me, it's been a hot minute since I've applied myself. But uh, you apply through uh, the Forest Service, I believe, uh, website. You make application on an online form. They receive it, and then they give you uh, lottery based on the size of your trip as as well as the duration of the trip. So um, that lottery is very, very diff- difficult to get a hold of. It's very sim- similar to like a, you know, a, a bear tag or a moose tag if you're, you know, in the hunting um, or something of that sort. And so you're very, very lucky if you get one. And even more so if it's over three days, they're incredibly rare to get a hold of. Um it is. It was a really great thing. I feel fortunate. I felt like I should have paid my friends, you know, just to get on that. Luckily, I got the invite, and uh, we facilitated a, a wonderful trip. You actually go in one side of the mountain range, and you come out on the other side. So um, a lot of people know of the Kolchuk um, Lake hike. So Kolchuk is one entrance, and then you have snow lakes on the other entrance or exit of this route. And um, if you're on any of the Facebook groups, Cold Check Lake is one of the um, uh, sites that is absolutely blowing up. In fact, a lot of the local media, Q13, they've talked about in the springtime here, you know, how post-COVID, everybody's just trying to get outside. And the roads are just lined up, and um, you're not supposed to park on either side of this forest service road. It's actually going to be very hard for search and rescue to get up there with their larger vehicles. And so um, I'm not sure, you know, you live in that area. I'm not sure if they shut that down at all, but I know they were threatening to do so. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Cause pre-recording, you mentioned that um, when you just climbed Mount Hood, mm-hmm. that there wasn't search and yeah. rescue available down in Oregon. So I don't know here in Washington because my idea of a hike is my stairs <laughs> up to my house. 
So that's bad. So the enchantments, you went for seven days and how, how long of a trip was that from one lake to the other? How, I mean, what are we talking about for those of us that have yeah, like there? distance wise elevation? Yeah. What's the distance? I mean, you know, what's the distance and then, and then what is the miles the, it, um, round trip? So, you know, you got to think about on hikes, okay. uh, usually hikes are loops. So you go out to somewhere and you come back the same way, but if you're going to do a throughput hike, that's when you're going to enter in one place and leave on the other. That way you have to logistically figure out, Hey, whose car stays here? Whose car goes there? How are we going to, you know, um, trolley people back and forth after the, the long excruciating hike. Um, so it's 18 um, miles. I want to say, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to probably mess up the stat. I'm not much of a statistician for hikes and stuff. But I would say it's probably like 3,500, 4,000 feet of elevation gain uh, up to what's called Asgard okay. Pass. It's literally a mountain pass that you hike up. And soon as you go up this, we had a, a mama goat and a baby goat tracking with us this whole scramble up this area. It's fairly dangerous. So if people are listening and they're going to be doing this, definitely do your research. Stay to the left-hand side of the, the goalie and uh, watch out for snow bridges. So if you're going up the snow, the creek runs underneath the snow. And in the springtime, um, you can step on that snow and fall through. And there have been people that have died there. So just heads up to people. It's not normal, but a lot of people come unprepared in that area without knowing much about snow traversing or snow travel. So you guys were there for seven, seven nights. Yeah. I think we cut it short down to six. We had the permit for seven. Um, the mosquitoes at snow Lake were ruthless. They were like hummingbirds and not, I mean, oh. obviously not hummingbirds, but there, we, there's brown recluse, uh, spiders. Uh, and so we were like, you know what, let's just truck it out. And then as we trucked it out on the last day, um, coming out to the, the snow lakes entrance, we ran across a grizzly bear of all things. You don't see grizzly bears in your area very much. And she was uphill of us and luckily, uh, there were some people that were just not afraid of her. And so we left very quickly and they stayed around to take pictures. So I felt very confident we were going to get out safely. <laughs> Cause you only have to run faster than one exactly. other person. And judging by their uh, Converse mm-hmm. and skinny jeans, I felt pretty comfortable with that. <laughs> pretty comfortable. Awesome. So heliotrope so heliotrope is a um is a flower it's like a purple flower in the springtime right now in june they're absolutely full force in effect up this entire ridge so we're talking mount baker right fairly away from a large majority of people and population but still close enough for a drive you get on the trail you know it's a very standard trail through the wilderness you know the forest the mosses the uh, the muddy trails, you know, the logs falling over, uh, creeks that you walk over, and then the rocks you jump across, these little streams. And then eventually you kind of break through the tree line. And as you're going up this ridge, these these heliotrope flowers are everywhere. And think of it like a um, like a, a, just a very straight ridge. So if you're looking in front of you, just looking straight uphill, like at a 45-degree slope, the, the rock kind of just cleaves. It cuts this glacier that's cut, flowing downhill slowly. So there's a glacier on your left, a glacier on your right, and then this beautiful ridge. It's just lit up with these spring flowers, and they're just you can smell them. They're just a, very, very aromatic, and they're just beautiful. And you can see the top of Mount Baker. As you turn around, you see the valleys. And, and I'm not sure what that effect is, but like as the ridges go in distance, you know they get lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter 
until it kind of fades out into the uh, horizon. It's one of the most beautiful trails. If you guys aren't really super active, but you want a good challenge, uh, you can choose to go as far as you want or, you know, in, in any part of that trail is just stunning. So no lottery needed for that. You know, you might need a, uh, um, uh, I think it's a forest service pass or discovery pass probably there. And, um, you park, you go do the trip, check it out on WTA.org, Washington Trails Association, or download the uh, All Trails app. That's All Trails and um, Heliotrope. I think it's H-E-L-I-O-T-R-O-P-E, Heliotrope, something of that sort. I'll, yeah, I'll find it and absolutely. I'll put it in the show notes below so, for, so people can look at it. So how long does that hike take? I mean, if you're going to go all the way up to see the yeah, flowers. I mean, uh, again, that's been a couple of years. I think it's been four or five years since I've been up there. But I want to say that would take you, you know, depending on your ability, four to six hours round trip. So it's a day, okay. it's a day hike. and so it's, You don't have to get started super yeah. early. You could, you know, get up to the trailhead at nine to noon or something and get back. Still a sun. So actually, depending okay. on what time of year. But springtime is the best time of year for that hike specifically. And then lastly... I, um, I love Panorama Point, which is a point on Mount Rainier. It's about halfway between the observatory there at Paradise. If you've ever been there, that's stunning enough. And you head up what's called the Skyline Trail, and you go basically a, you know, a quarter of the way to Camp Muir, which let me just clarify, Camp Muir is halfway up Rainier. So you're, you're a quarter of the way up halfway. So what is that? It ate to the top. So it's a hike, but it's not that far. Uh, it will definitely get you uh, breaking into sweat most of the year due to the elevation. It is in snow. August time, you're going to be mostly on dirt. July, late July, you'll probably be on dirt there as well. It's a very well-maintained trail. There's actually an asphalt trail halfway up. And uh, Panorama Point has this really cool uh, – latrine or bathroom i know that doesn't sound like the the coolest thing you see on a mountain but let me tell you it's like it's like uh like kind of like a, a cottage so they've done all this like rock work the mortared and like this old like really cool like uh uh wooden door and like you it's rounded top and you like push in and it's like a solar light in it and it's super cool like you you can open up the door after using the restroom and the clouds are below you and you can see like other mountain peaks. It's just an experience. I mean, as a bathroom, it's a bathroom, right? But like, if you step out of the bathroom, obviously there's it's pan and point. You can see everywhere. You can see Goat Rocks Wilderness. Um, yeah, but this is cool. Like, if you're, if you're in Instagram or you know posting images and stuff, it, it's just a cool. Um, I don't know. Just a cool perspective. You don't normally see pictures like that. You usually, see people in what yoga pants and. Uh, like flat build hats with brewery stuff going on. So uh, we like to have some fun and there's nothing wrong with everybody enjoying the outdoors, but I'm just saying that's a, a little bit of a fun uh, hike just about anyone can do, but don't get it wrong. You're going to get your butt kicked. You're going to have some sweat. Your, your legs are going to get stretched out and uh, weather moves in quick there. So just be, be aware that you can get uh-huh. caught in some nasty weather pretty quickly, even if it's a nice day. Now that's, is that a pretty, steep hike is, is there a lot of elevation gain there or is it is it uh, more of a gentle is that the part of the mountain that's kind of yeah gentle? so it's kind of in between those two areas so it like kind of, it kind of rolls okay. uphill so you know it's steep in some areas it's not like you, you couldn't push it like a baby stroller up there but um you could push the baby stroller halfway up there so that'd be one sixteenth of the way up mount rainier for all you mathematicians out there following along 
There we go. Great. Now, everyone needs to learn a little bit on an episode. You just learned that you can push a stroller one sixteenth way up Mount Rainier. All right. So because this is not my wheelhouse and I'm going to guess that some of the people that may be listening to this are accomplished hikers and accomplished hiker or accomplished hikers and accomplished climbers. Myself is not included in that list. What's the difference between hiking and climbing? I mean, there's got to be what, how do we, how does one, when does something change from being a hike to being a climb? Okay. Um, and I would, I'd throw backpacking in there as well. Right. So you have, you have hiking, which backpacking falls into like the hiking. So you have a day hike or you're backpacking, which would mean like you're, you're taking your camping stuff with you, your tent, your food, your kitchen, if you will, on your back. So that's backpacking and then backpacking and hiking when it goes into climbing, um, maybe this is not necessarily a technical thing, but I would say anytime that you're required to have an ice axe or crampons or a helmet, or you're going on a rope, you know, because you got to think climbing can be divided into different types of surfaces. So you can be on snow, you could be on glaciers, you could be on rock. So any of those types of three activities would be climbing. So let's say Panorama Point, it's on a mountain, you think it could be a climb and a climb up there as our normal vernacular would say. Right. Uh, but the reality is you can just do it with hiking boots and some layers. And there's no reason for you to have uh, an ice ax, even in the middle of winter, you're just fine going up there. Don't get me wrong. When I say just fine, it doesn't mean it's not dangerous and it's not inherently risky, but I'm saying from a climbing perspective, there's it's a snowfield. There's no crevasses. You're not going to fall into an area and get hurt or injured. Where an ice axe, it just think of it like a, you know, it's what you see in the movies. You know, people are sho- shoving them into uh, ice walls and stuff like that. That's what anchors you to the surface. Okay. Yeah. So, so you have summited Mount Indeed. Rainier, and what other what other mountains have you have you summited? And they don't have to just be in Washington. You yeah, can, you so um, Mount Eleanor is actually a really good uh, hike, and it is in the Olympics. So I've done that. Done um, Mount St. Helens. I've done Mount Adams a couple times. Recently just did uh, Mount Hood. I've done Mount Shasta. Um, Rainier I attempted four times, got up on the fifth time. Like I said, the weather there can be really, really crazy. I've climbed Mount Baker. Um, I've gone down to Africa and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. I've done the Three Sisters in uh, in South Sister. Um, yeah, I've got quite a few. I've done some stuff in Switzerland, so got a lot of experience. But um, you know, you need some. I I did not know that you'd climbed in yeah, Switzerland. That's, that's yeah, I love. I Switzerland. did not know it's that. Beautiful. So even though you may not answer Washington State, what was your of all of those climbs? What's the most um, memorable. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up here in, you know, in Pierce County, my whole life and growing up looking at the mountain and being into hiking, I think all of us Washingtonians can relate that the grandness and the majesticness of Mount Rainier is something that captivates us all. You know, 
we, we've got terms like, oh, the mountain's out, or man, she looks pretty. Or we've all woken up on one of those fall mornings and we look and we see the, the shadow of Mount Rainier going across the, the clouds. and uh, Or if you're in different areas, you see the sunset on Mount Rainier. And it's just so iconic. Um, that always captivated my heart from a very young age. And uh, so I, I saved up many times, like I said, four times to train for a year at a time pay the uh, climbing services, which are non-refundable. It doesn't matter about weather. You, you you pay them, you show up, and if you're hitting gale force winds, it's just how it happens. Um, so Mount Rainier is the most memorable. Um, I was over like a seven-year window, and it just took a lot of – I think the mountain takes a lot of heart to climb. Um, if you're lucky enough to get good weather, you know, fitness can get you there. But the reality is most of the time it's not just fitness. It's, it's heart determination, perseverance. Um, I have asthma and so, um, cold weather really shrinks my, uh, my esophagus and gives me bronchitis nearly instantly. And so, um, I ended up climbing Rainier, uh, with a lung infection. I had no idea about cause it's already hard for me to climb. So when I got to the top, it was very hard to climb. When I got down, it was still as difficult to breathe as the top. And then I went to the doctor. I was like, Doc, I can't breathe. My rescue inhaler is doing nothing. My other inhalers are doing nothing. You know, do I need to be put on something else? And yeah, I had like 40% lung capacity. So 60% damaged um, lungs out of some stuff. And so it was even harder for me. So when I say it takes heart, you know, as you, yeah, it takes, it takes lungs, lungs too. So when you go up to the top, it's as many of you know, the air gets thinner and it's, uh, you don't get as much oxygen. So, um, but damn it, I wanted it. So I was ready to turn around. Actually, so can I, it, dude, I gotta tell you this, you know, this is, this speaks to the volumes of guides, um, you know, outdoor enthusiasts, as well as, as like people that are going to push you in your life. Because when you leave Camp Mirror, which is halfway and you go to the upper mountain, it's very lunar. Like there are literally ice blocks larger than most commercial buildings resting on each other and melting and, and just doing their, their stuff. It does not look like anywhere else on the planet when you're on the upper portion of Mount Rainier. And so you do not see rocks until you get to the crater rim. Cause you gotta remember all these cascade volcanoes or a majority of them are active volcanoes. So normally mountains smell there's sulfur coming out of the top. There's noxious gases. So you actually smell the volcano being active. We, you know, us here at sea level, we look up and it's like, Oh, it's, it's a mountain, but you got to think at the crater rim, it's, it's a crater. It's mountains are already blown up. And so like the crater rim is rock and that rock and above that, even in the middle of winter, it's always, always, always exposed because the top of Mount Rainier is warm to the touch. It's literally warm. It's a volcano with magma in it, you know? And so, um, like, you do not see rocks until you get to the top of Mount Rainier, essentially. So um, just wanted to, like, you know, we were stuck in a, a whiteout, 50-mile-an-hour winds, um, absolutely frozen, literally sheets of ice on either side of our bodies and backpacks. And you're moving very slow at that time. And I, I looked down and, and I was like, I yanked on the rope and I was like, no, I got nothing left. It's just not, not, not today. And, um, and I looked down and, you know, you got this big knot of gear, you know, you attached to a rope, you got all these carabiners 
And the guide in front of me yanked again, and I yanked back. I was like, hey, you son of a gun, you listen to me. I'm done. I'm done. I, I don't, you know, I'm accepting defeat. This is two days into this damn thing. I am cold. I literally had already peed my pants because I, my hands are so cold. I could not, you know, undo my pants. And, uh, and I said, I am done. And I looked down. I put my head on my ice axe just to take a breath, i.e., I couldn't breathe at all. And that son of a gun, he whipped the uh, the rope, right, and put some energy in the rope. And I looked down, and this big knotted ball of ice and stuff and carabiners just hit me straight in the face, busted my lip. And I was like, I was just mad. All of a sudden, I had just had more energy. I was like, I'm going to tell this guy. I'm going to tell him what's up, you know. And, you know, just a young guy's perspective after being challenged and just defeated and I'm not joking. You couldn't see six feet in front of you. And so I turned the corner. I stomped up there. I was gonna. I was gonna show up. And like I'm, I'm mad. I'm angry. And it's you know. And all of a sudden I hear tink 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 tink. And I look down and my feet are on rocks. And so I was. I was really willing to turn around. I'm talking 17 steps away from the summit, not knowing that you're that close. And he goes, uh. Uh-uh. No way. I don't care. He didn't, he didn't mean to hit me in the face with that. I bloody lip. Right. And I walked up there. Hey, I have a picture on Mount Ring. I got blood on my lip and I'm like, oh, I did it. You know, a Rocky Balboa moment. And, uh, and so I just want to, you know, it's a good reminder, a good analogy. You don't know how close you are to the other side of your breakthrough, you know, and uh, keep pushing forward. So you were literally, literally uh, 17 steps away from most. the summit. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. so, um, so that just reminded me, you know, it, you need people in your life to push you, you know. And that was your fifth, fifth attempt. Fifth attempt. Like, she's like 12,000 bucks into climbing fees and permits and gear and practice stuff. Yeah. Five years of effort. And you're not getting any healthier or any skinnier as you're getting older, you know. So it gets harder. We all know how that works. I totally know how that works. So... The other four times you didn't summit. Oh, thanks. Appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. Happy happy to bring (laughs) that up. I'm sure though, that you have something during those one of the, at least one of those other four climbs that was memorable. Yeah. And worthy, worthy of sharing. So two of those times I, uh, um, just a little insight into my personal life. I I have a family member, um, quote unquote family member, um, you know, like an adopted aunt, if you want. And she unfortunately passed away from breast cancer. Uh, so a lot of my motive for climbing was to, uh, to raise money with the climb to fight breast cancer. Uh, um, so I, I did raise uh, money for that and I climbed Mount Rainier. And actually, I climbed with Denise Whitaker. She's a, a newscaster and her, uh, her camera crew. And so that was really memorable. Um, the whole Whitaker family is iconic in, in the history of Mount Rainier and the Ashford area, which is a small town, obviously outside of um, Mount Rainier near the entrance. And so we, um, we hit it off. She and I have stayed in, in contact over the years. Uh, just a wonderful person. I have the most amount of respect and uh, the organization as a whole is, is just very meaningful. Um, and it, it reminded me that the, the journey not the destination is often, you know, what you're what you're experiencing, what you're going for. The people get summit fever, they make bad decisions, they get injured. A successful climb isn't getting to the top. A successful climb is getting home. And that's a great way of looking at and it. So actually, yeah. just don't ask people on the way up when they're coming down. Hey, did you make it to the top? It's not the best way to 
to help a defeated person. And there's a lot of emotional stuff going into that. So at, at, at any given time, I think climbing Rainier, there, you, there's a window of time during the year that you do this, correct? So you just don't go <laughs> Absolutely. Up, yeah, and I don't recommend know. not having the guide service. There's plenty of people. I've seen people get hit in the leg with a rock and their boots explode and they break their leg. And, you know, you're, you're literally anchored to the side of Mount Rainier for a good five-hour window. And if you get hypothermia and stuff, that's, that's all on you. So um, it's not really an area you mess with. With that being said, more people get injured or die from Paradise, which is the parking lot, the observatory lodge, and up to Camp Mir because they're not prepared. They don't understand. They think it's a hike. It turns into a climb where you're supposed to have some gear. Maybe you can do it without gear, of course, but the weather changes so quickly. You can have a 70-degree day without a cloud in the sky, and the mountain will literally create its own vortexes, its own um, pressure systems, its own clouds. You get stuck in a whiteout in the midst of five to ten minutes. It's not, it's, I'm telling you, you'll never see a cloud. You look all the way to the, I don't know, let's say to the Pacific Ocean, to the Columbia, and out to eastern Washington. And in moments, you can drop 40 to 50 degrees. Winds can increase 40 to 50 miles an hour, and your visibility is gone. So that's, wow. I just, if anyone's listening, thing they want to do, can't mirror, take it seriously and be prepared. Take a GPS or a camp uh, app. So when, when, when it's hiking season, when it's climbing season for, for Rainier, how many is it is it crowded up there how many people are up there is it is it a is it a lonely thing is it you and your guide your 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 party but is it do you see people going up yeah. and coming down so you know very similar to uh to life and success in general the the higher accolades and performance usually less people are there but the people that are there are more like each other I always tell an analogy, you know, you go to camp, you know, you go to Ashford, right? Let's say, let's say you start out in like Tacoma, lots of very, very diverse amount of people, interest at sea level. Okay. Then you go up to like Puyallup, people start to get a little more similar, but very different, right? Then you get out to Eatonville, not as many people in diversity, you start to get like types of people out there. Now you get out to Ashford, there's less people, but they're definitely more similar. You could definitely say, oh, there's, you know, like, hey, there's a type of person that enjoys this type of lifestyle. Now you get into the national park. Okay. Well, there, there's basically two types of people. There's people that are going to come there, take pictures, right? Check in on Facebook or Instagram. And then there's people that are hiking, right? And then once you, uh, you realize that, let's say May through August, maybe September. That's kind of your, your window of time to enjoy Rainier. Um, once you leave the parking lot in Paradise and you're climbing up towards Camp Mir, there's only so many spots and uh, to camp. And most people from Mount Rainier are making a multi-day trip. And so you're hiking as fast as you can to go get yourself a spot. So you're competing with everyone around you. And then when you get there, you set up your tent, then now you have the camaraderies. Everybody's just hanging out there, getting some rest. You go to sleep, and you wake up at you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and you get climbing in the middle of the night, and alpines start. The temperatures are colder. The mountain's frozen, so there's less chance for ice fall, less chance for rock fall. You have your headlamps on, you know, and um, – and now, as soon as you leave Camp Mir and you're on the glaciers, you're crawling on the crevasses, you're going up the, the ice bridges, it, it's, um, it's really crazy because you shift. They're no longer your competition. Um, your competition turns into your support system. Uh, 
and your team, you're only as fast as the slowest person on your team, right? And so um, it's very interesting, the perspective there. And you're, you're no longer competing. You're encouraging each other and trying to support each other. And um, not to get super uh, Tony Robbins, but I think it's a really good um, approach in life as well. As, yeah, at a certain point in your careers and your lives and your hobbies, you, you know, everybody shifts from being a competitor to you know, a supporter. And I think that's a really important thing for us as a community to do for each other. So everybody's on their own journey, you know? So two questions on Rainier and then we'll move on. Camp Muir, can you describe that? Because in my vision, you know, I'm thinking a camp, like, you know, there's stuff there. And I, I yeah, think so I might be wrong. Yeah, so after you leave Panorama Point, there's one last spot to get water. It's called Pebble Creek. So you, and that's at the base of the Muir Snowfield. And so what's so dangerous about, not dangerous, just like it has a mirage effect, is you can see Camp Muir, which is literally a ridge, like a little saddle, um, and there's a snowfield from here till forever, it seems like. And you just chug along slowly up this hill. And you think that you've made, you know, you might go a mile. And Camp Muir doesn't look any closer. So it's just this, this ridge on Mount Rainier. And it's a, it's a safe area. It's a, away from Rockfall. And, uh, but it's also precariously positioned right at the edge of these glaciers. Um, you know, you look over the edge and, you know, 1500 feet down the glacier is there and stuff. So, you know, you don't want to be walking around without a headlamp at night, but at the same time, it's quite safe. They have a, um, uh, a climber's bivouac there, meaning there are, you know, like the restrooms there, there's predefined camping sites with rocks stacked around and walls to protect the camps from, um, the wind can get really, really hard up there. There is a, a ranger station up there as well. So, um, it's, it's actually fairly well developed. There's solar panels up there. There's water. There's definitely a porta potty. Um, but for most people, if you're not climbing with a guide, the guide has a bunkhouse. So you don't have to pack your tents and the ropes and all that stuff. They just keep that up there. So uh, it's a lot less weight and it's a lot more doable to climb Mount Rainier when you're uh, working with a guide service. Okay. And then what is... How fast can somebody climb right here? I think the record is some is there a, ridiculous it, thing. It, it doesn't even make sense. This is like ultra marathoner of ultra marathoners. They 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 put someone that's won the Boston Marathon. It seems like at to complete shame. You know, I think it's something like four to five hours up and down. Like that's yeah, really it's insane. It's insane. insane. You, uh, you can Google it and probably put a link down below the, the show at the end for that person. Oh, That's fascinating. Okay. I can't comprehend that. I don't know how that works at all. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, when I summited in here, I was quite fit, quite young and we still did it in two days. And I don't know. It's just mind blowing. So when you come back down, do you stay at Camp Muir the next? I mean, yeah, do you so stay at Muir or do you go all the three day or, trips? So basically, a two day trip would be okay. the first day you go from Paradise to Camp Muir. You stay, you wake up in the middle of the night, and then you get up to the top by sunrise. You turn around, you come down to Camp Muir, you grab the rest of your stuff since you don't have to carry everything to the top, and then you get all the way out. Or the three-day trip, which I found a lot more success on. All four times that I failed was a two-day trip. The three-day trip is you go up to Camp Muir, and then the next day you wake up at a normal time, and then you go about 1,500 more feet up the mountain to what's called Ingraham Flats, and you set up camps on a glacier there, and you stay there, and then you get up, and then you do the push-up, and then you come all the way down the next day. 
which is like, I don't know, you burn like 10 to 12,000 calories in that day. It's an 18 hour day. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So the other like Baker and and St. Helens and how are they? I mean, yeah. So you you (laughs) joked before we hit the record button that, you know, St. Helens is half the mountain it used to be, you know, um, it's beautiful. That was kind of, kind of St. Helens is astounding. If anyone wants to start to get into mountaineering or climbing mountains or summiting, it is a non-technical hike. It's like just a hike. It's not a climb. You could bring an ice axe if you really wanted to. Um, you know, there's a winter route. There's a summer route. Uh, the summer route is much easier. The winter route uh, is more direct and, and takes uh, a bit more energy. Uh, I've climbed it both uh, looking into the crater be careful when you get to the top there are cornices meaning there's snow that gets blown over like a like a wave a wave of water if you will but it's frozen and sometimes you uh, see cornices melt off and slough off into the crater so you got to stay away from that crater rim but looking down at the uh the massive power and force and obviously the is it spirit lake down there i want to say and and all the the forest that's still recovering uh, it's just massively inspiring so if you want to check out a hike i would definitely check out um mount st helens and then twofold um in that same area just a little farther south east if i will mount adams is down there mount adams is a non-technical climb on the south spur which um is called the lunch counter route and uh, that's usually the first mountain most people will do. They'll do like Mount Eleanor, which is a hike. They'll do Mount St. Helens. And then for the, you know, the bigger climbs, you know, is once the Adams like 12,300, 12,400, something like that. Um, so it's a two-day climb. Usually some people do it in one day, but most people do it in two days. Adams is a great, 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 great place to uh, get some mountain experience. And just to let you know, Every thousand feet you go up, you generally lose like three to seven degrees. So if it's 70 degrees down here at sea level, you know, and then, you know, 12,000 feet, you're generally 40 to 50 degrees temperature wise colder, no matter what. So, you know, very rarely do you have a day on a summit that's above 30 to 45 degrees, you know, best, 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 best without wind chill. So that's, yeah, that's, that's not, what about Baker? How, yeah, how so is, how is very, Baker? It's glaciated. It's usually guided. That was my first non-guided uh, glaciated uh, trip. You definitely want to do that in two days. That's not. That's a more advanced mountain. That's not a mountain um, someone wants to try. So if you guys are not familiar with it, you can join. Um, there's plenty of climbing um, outfitters, or you can join the Mountaineers, which is a group of uh, outdoor enthusiasts that are committed to safety education and uh you know exploring the wilderness uh, here in washington and in the world it's a worldwide organization so you just stole my next question which is how to get started so thank you oh, for okay, answering yeah, that in go. advance appreciate that um yeah so so here's a question okay. i hadn't prepared you for you're going to go on one more hike you get only one more hike it's got to be in washington state what's it going to be you never get to hike again um I would, gosh, that's good. That's good. Okay. So never get to hike again. I would spend some time in the North Cascades and specifically I'd probably do, and I haven't yet done it, but there's a hike that um, is on Mount Shuxton and uh, that's one of the most photographed mountains in the world. It's just generally beautiful. Um, 
I haven't really researched it, but I've always wanted, I've seen pictures and always wanted to spend some time in that area. Okay. I've not heard yeah, of that it's, mountain. It's, uh, it's pretty popular. Um, Glacier okay. Peak is up there as well. There's a couple, couple, couple okay. more I want to climb. I haven't done those yet. Um, so those two are still in my, my bucket list. Those are on the bucket list. Okay. All right. I'm going to shift gears to something completely out of the state because I want to know, and it's out of the country, Kilimanjaro. Yeah. How was that? I know I, I, I know somebody else that is, has completed Kilimanjaro as well, so I'm curious to contrast your okay. experience so, with theirs. Just to set the stage, I was like 23 at that time. Now I'm turning 34 next week. And, um, you know, for my personal story, I, when I was 22, two i had my tonsils taken out the doctors accidentally nicked my juggler i lost all the blood in my body i went up to uh many hospitals in the area and was pronounced dead had all the blood transfused in my body so i had just gone through a really traumatic part of my life i wanted you said if you had one last hike i felt that way before right and I, you know, I, I didn't want to die without living. And so I said, screw this, maybe get one chance of life. I'm going to go to Kilimanjaro. And so there's two ways you can do Kilimanjaro. You can just climb Kilimanjaro with a guide service, right? Or you could do the guide service climb plus the uh, safari, essentially. So I was like, I'm going to go all out and uh, flew through Amsterdam. That's when I spent some time there in, in Europe backpacking and in the Switzerland area. I flew all the way down to, um, to Tanzania and uh, we did the safari as well as the climb. Um, the, it's the most alive I've ever felt. The being on a mountain and going to 19,000 feet is, is, is also lunar. You know, it, it feels out of this world. The stars from 19 or 18,000 feet with no lights around you for a cu- couple countries, it seems like away uh, to see the Milky way and to feel like you touch it, to see, to see, um, you know, like we've all seen Lion King, like Pride Rock exists. I'm not sure if you know that. We took a, a hot air balloon ride for sunrise over the Serengeti during the Great Migration. Like you can't write books like this. This is so iconic life. And it was is absolutely a beautiful moment in my life. And I, I hope that sharing the story that any of you um, with the means to go figure it out, it's not as expensive as you think it is. Many of us have car payments that uh, could make us afford the trip. Um, get out there and live your best life because, you know, one day you're, you're not going to have the chance to. And we're not getting any younger. And it's a walk. It's a trek, if you will. Just about anybody's fitness level can do it. It's over seven to nine days traditionally. And it is. Uh, they have porters, meaning that they're community members that are climbers. They take a majority of your, your stuff. It is a gourmet climbing experience, if you will. It is uh, it, it culturally uh, eye-opening. You, you're absolutely nearly guaranteed to cry at some point. It's an emotional achievement. It's, uh, you, know, you get to see a part of the world you probably have never seen before. And... Um, the stories that you'll get, those memories will last you a lifetime. Even on your deathbed, you'll be definitely proud that you made that decision to do it. Interesting. Cause you're, you're recounting your, your climb very parallel to the other person I know that did Kilimanjaro. The only variable is when they did Kilimanjaro was 
right before 9-11 and they were stuck wow. in Africa afterwards. They, so they couldn't come home sure. for a little while. So they, they spent more time, you know, not on the mountain, but you know, not being able to come home. So that was kind of a, yeah, a, a difference. So to wrap up, is there anything else that we could talk about with hiking and climbing in Washington state? What I think we, I think we did a nice job. Well, we being you, you did a great job of, of sharing your experiences. Um, getting started. If somebody wants to get started, you mentioned mountaineers. There's a, what was the other Washington trails? Yeah, so there's Washington trails association. So WTA is the acronym for that. So they they have an app as well as a, a great website, which gives you, you know, hikes in your proximity. So, you know, if you're going to go into Northwest Washington or Northeast or Southeast, you know, they kind of break it up into areas. They show you the, the challengingness, if you will, <laughs> of the hike, strenuous, strenuous okay. uh, expectations for how to get there. So that's a good way what to bring. So I definitely recommend that. The All Trails app is okay. absolutely awesome. You know, you've got the, the Strata app as well, or Strava app uh, for tracking your activity. Most of those do like GPS routes, and so they track like where you're at. They track how many calories you burn to be have a smartwatch or a heart rate monitor. Um, Mailbox Peak, we never really went there, but Mailbox Peak is what legends are made of. There's two trails there. It's, what is it, four miles up, four miles down, but it's like 4,000 feet of elevation gain. It's a perfect training hike if you're going to start any mountains. Um, the old trail is a direct trail. They call it a sheep trail. So it's like uh, roots and rocks and like muddy and you just like really climb up. It's not like a maintained traverse, which is like where you switch backs. It just kind of goes directly up there. I just did that a couple weeks back. It was awesome. Um, yeah. And so uh, I would start in those two things, but the Mountaineers is a wonderful organization if you are looking at um, – get into mountaineering at a more serious level and you want to be safe in the in the outdoors there's also quite a few facebook groups so i always say uh you know start there you're going to find a community of people i um you know it doesn't matter if you're single divorced married family whatever point of life you're in there's other people that are uh you know probably at your similar journey and want to explore that well the rest a little bit more too awesome um one question about mailbox peak do you know why it was named that and how did the mailbox get up there? I don't I mean, know. I don't know the history behind it, that, but there's now two mailboxes at the top. Um, yeah. And there so, is. um, there's literally two mailboxes and they like people, uh, I think sometimes have put letters in there as farewell letters to loved ones that have been passed. Uh, though, I mean, I think there's, isn't there an Explorer Washington state sticker on the, there was, right? there, there was. And I think, I think what, what was interesting to me is that, so one of our um, followers got some of our stickers. They went up there, they put them up, they put them up on the mailbox. And then I saw your pictures and I didn't see our sticker. And it was like two weeks later. So I'm like, how thick yeah, is this was, mailbox I mean, of stickers now? Tag, I mean, tag that stuff up with stickers. And there's a couple of rainier uh, awesome. beers up there that are unopened for photo ops. And, um, you know, <laughs> for, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's right on North Bend. So it looks to the valley, the I 90 corridors below. And, I'd really like to know the story. Yeah, of, like, I think I think should, take someone was up. like, you know, egotistical or something and was like, oh, you think that's bad? I'm going to take a box with a stick and some concrete and I'm going to take it up the old trail. You know, like there are some people that are. So literally it's I, in I concrete. I mean, they've, they, not, but I, there's, 
Okay. I mean, I can't imagine being the person right. schlepping yeah. that stuff up. But the, you know, up, that's, you that's know. what okay. the, the mountain men and mountain women stories are made out of, right? Like athletic people are so challenge oriented and, um, right. and prideful of their performance as well. I, I think I'm probably a little less uh, prideful in those areas. I tend to be like, Hey, it's a good hike and you got to sweat a little bit. So, uh, but for all of you who are right. athletic and competitive, just remember when you're on the trails, the, when people ask you how much farther to the top, just say you're almost there, you know, just almost there around the next corner. <laughs> well, what your story on Rainier, the guy, you know, he didn't let you, yeah. he didn't let you give up. I mean, and, and how happy right. are you I that mean, you made it? Yeah. I mean, honestly, a lot of people are like, tell go. me about it. And, you know, people don't ask you, tell you about it if you didn't get to the top. It just it loses the, you know, the joy. So are you going to do Rainier again? Do you have any plans of, no, of doing Rainier again? I think again? the only thing that's kind of left on my bucket list as far as things I've wanted to do with Kilimanjaro under my belt for one of the seven summits, it's the highest in Africa. I want to go to Russia and climb Mount Elbrus, which is uh, Europe's highest. Um, and so that's, uh, that's something I'm probably thinking 2022. But again, my lungs are pretty damaged from asthma and stuff, so i got to assess that properly. Okay. Well, I think at this point, uh, this has been awesome. I'm really grateful that you've been on with us, and um, I'll leave you with right, the last well, word. You guys have a uh, a blessed day. Stay safe out there in the outdoors, um, and remember, you only live once, so go live a good life. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.